This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In this edition of Oopsology, we got a very special guest joining Matt and Justin. He is the co-host of the Take Line podcast and the host of the weekly YouTube series, All Caps NBA, Jason Concepcion. In this chat, we discuss the reason why Knicks fans are so loyal and why they're excited to see their team back in the playoff hunt. We also discuss how the rules changes have improved the overall product for fans, but it could lead to more fights on the court. This is an awesome chat with one of the most insightful opinion makers discussing the NBA. So enjoy this chat with Jason Concepcion. He is the co-host of the Take Line podcast and the host of the weekly YouTube series, All Caps NBA. We have the pleasure in welcoming Jason Concepcion onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Jason? Uh, it's going well. How are y'all? Doing really well. We've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. Appreciate you taking time off your busy schedule just to chop it up with us. Oh, it's my and- with a lot of our guests, we like to kind of delve into what made him a basketball fan in the first place. So just want to ask you, starting off right off the bat, what is like your first basketball memory or favorite basketball memory, whatever comes to mind? My first basketball memory, that's, you know, I think it might have been just like playing basketball. Um, there was like a hoop sort of in the neighborhood that was like dunkable, not by me, but by people that I knew. It was like probably eight and a half or something like at a, at a park. Um, and so that was incredible. Like watching people actually dunk in front of you is like, it was amazing. And then, you know, I'm from New York and I became a Knicks fan mostly because uh, I had an English teacher that I really didn't like and he was a Celtics fan. So I'm just like, I'm going <laughs> to like a team that he hates. Um, and that, and that was that, you know, uh, we got shortly after that, we, my brother and I got like a, a rim for the driveway, um, that we would lower and just play like on the lowest, on the lowest height ever. And just everything is all dunks. Um, and that was it. That was, that, that was like the gateway drug for me. So, um, let's talk about the Knicks that, since that is your favorite team. And I just want to ask you since, you know, you, are from New York and you just, I think you have just a general sense of the team more than just like mad nice as we just lived in kind of the, the Rocky mountain as region of the country. Yeah. Can you, can you give us the sense of when that video happened, when bing bong, just the sense of bong. like, yeah, just like the sense <laughs> of Knicks fans. Like well, I feel like it's, it's just like, to me, it, I'm a, I'm a Bulls fans, but at yeah. the same time, there's a part of me that kind of wants to see the Knicks just go to the finals just to see how their fans are going to react. I'm just keeping yeah. it real. <laughs> I mean, the thing you got to understand is that energy has been there the whole time, even when they were terrible. Like, and you know, it's not like they're world beaters now. They're a good, they're a decent team. Um, uh, as, as we are, Recording this, they are down four to the Pacers early second quarter. Um, but people have always been energized for the team. I, I saw many a like really bad Knicks game in the garden in the like the dregs of like late 
uh, Isaiah Thomas era, early Mike D'Antoni era, when they just like absolutely sucked, winning twenty something games, and people were going crazy. Like people went crazy for it. Um, the the Knicks just have like a deep, you know, a fan the type of fan base where, and this is not this is not the case everywhere in every market, but it's like, you know, it's like legacy fandom you've got people whose like grandfather rooted for the team you know whose grandfather's like oh yeah i was there for the i was there when they won the title that kind of you know that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. the team has like been passed down so there's like uh and and you know there's you know eight and a half whatever it is million people in uh, the new york metropolitan area so there's just like, a lot of fans and they're always crazy even when the team sucked like the games were sold out um so and then you've got this entire generation probably two generations honestly of fans that have grown up in this like post 2000s dolan era where it's just been really bad for two decades you know like the worst record you know of any nba team over the last 20 years and mm. they that generation is just like ready for anything good you know, it's like Jeremy Lin, that was like a ray of sunshine for a second there. The uh, the Mela team that won 53 games, that was like a that was like a break in the clouds, even though everybody understood at the time, like, you know, Jason Kidd is 40. Uh, Pablo Prigioni is 39. Like, you know, <laughs> Rashid Wallace is on the team. This is not like a team that's built to last. Um, so the fact that there is uh, you know, a decent squad with young players on it and a, a front office that appears that to have a plan uh, and a good coach. This is really fantastic. So I, you know, like my sense is that Knicks, Knicks fans are just like psyched. They've been re they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for for a team that's not a trash fire uh, and they have it. Yeah, there does seem to be kind of like still this this like rabid element of that fan base that I don't think you would see in other fan bases. And is is that largely largely due to like the importance of basketball in New York overall? Or what do you think has kind of sustained that fire? I think part of it is that basketball is obviously a huge uh, part of the kind of like cultural fabric of New York. But I think it's also that people love their sports in New York City. And for most of the Knicks, you know, history, there's only been the Knicks. Like every other sport in New York, there's multiple teams. There's the Jets and the Giants, right? Uh, there's the Mets and the Yankees. Previously, the Giants also and the Brooklyn Dodgers. So you had like a ton of teams over there. Um, there's, you know, the New York Red Bulls and the New York FC. Um, mm. There's the Rangers and the Islanders. But there was only the Knicks. That was it. So like that, you that was the team that united the entire city. When the Knicks were good, it was like all the different fan bases united behind the Knicks. Uh, so that's part of it. Is like this kind of like cultural memory of like how fun the city is when the Knicks are good. And now, of course, there are the Nets. Um, but it is, but it's different, you know, it's like, it's a lot like here in LA where it's like the Lakers have this deep rooted fan base, um, with multi generations of fans, 
uh, going back decades. And then the Clippers have their fans and they are, you know, very energized, but it's like a smaller subset. Um, and that's kind of like what it is, you know, with the Nets versus the Knicks. The Knicks just have years and years and years and years and years of fandom and history and people that were brought up, you know, to be Knicks fans. Yeah, it seems like most of the people we have talked to have some kind of connection to New Jersey and New York kind of agree that the Nets being in Brooklyn is sort of like the new kid coming to school, I guess, like the new kid that comes to your high school. And, you know, the first week or so, everyone's just kind of trying to see <laughs> what's going on with them or something. I, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but uh, do you have a sense of like any sort of internal struggle in the city or just kind of uh, like the I mean, Knicks dominate really the history. A struggle. And this is not to like lord it over the Nets fans. The sure. Nets have their New Jersey era fans that have stuck with the team. There's there's that is a segment of the fan base. And then they have like um I I have I know a lot of people who just kind of live around the Barclays and started going because the tickets were super cheap. You know, and they had like good food in the arena and there's a Shake Shack across the street. Mm. And so you could just go and hang out and it's a good game. Uh, and they so they have a lot of fans like that where it's like, oh, I either just moved to New York City and hey, this team is good and I'm close by or the tickets were cheap, what have you. And so that and they have like a lot of kind of newer fans or free agent fans who kind of were looking for a team to root for. And just happen to get a team that has, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie whenever he decides to get vaccinated. <laughs> it's it's similar here in LA in the sense that, you know, the Lakers have a wide swath of fans, like construction workers and cops and movie executives and, you know, all that kind of thing. And then the Clippers have it's mostly transplants. Like all the Clippers fans that I know are people who moved to LA to be like TV writers. Like it actually, like that is their, their fan base is like comedians and TV writers. People who moved here and were like, I like basketball. I'd like to root for a team. The Clippers are here. I'm priced out of the Lakers tickets. Therefore I, I'm a Clippers fan. So Jason, with the Clippers getting a new arena, what do you think that dynamic's gonna be like? Do you think ticket prices are gonna go up and kind of like exclude those fans that are looking for like a you know a cheaper price, or do you think they'll keep it fan friendly? Like because I was worried about that with Golden State when they moved to the new yeah. arena and this tickets are expensive there. So yeah, I, I would imagine that you'll see it go up a little bit, but also they just needed to do it. Like it, it's hard to it's hard to really grasp like what a like what a behind enemy lines type life Clippers fans live <laughs> like the, the entire city is against them the people that work their games like the ushers and shit are all Lakers fans like when when the Clippers lose in their building with their fucking banners and their colors when they switch over their colors <laughs> The ushers are mocking them or like oh. laughing at them. the people who are working at the arena, working the game are not even fans of them. So it's just like they need to do it. it. They need their own house with their own banners and their own, you know, colors and their own pictures and stuff that they can leave up. They don't need to take down all the time because it's just like an untenable situation. for them. It's really a terrible situation for them. Like there, there was a clip. <laughs> There's a clip from one of like the 
one of the game seven like chokes where you could the ushers are laughing and it's a home game for the Clippers. Uh, and so it needed to change that. I mean, that is like a terrible situation. For them. <laughs> it, it definitely sounds like um, Jason, I'm um, shifting gears to the kind of what's happening now in the league these days. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're one of the hot topics is the NBA rules changes. Um, yeah. it, it seems like general consensus is this is good for the league. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Do you see kind of any negatives in terms of what you're seeing so far? Or overall, do you think this is a win for the league in I terms mean, of how do you do, how you watch the game on a daily basis? I think it's a negative in the sense that, you know, maybe we might get more fights or near fights as the Jokic Marquise mm. thing showed us and the uh, um, the Miles versus Rudy kind of like dance off showed us. Um, but I, I think it was necessary. There was just too much contortionism, uh, you know, especially in the way that, you know, in the way particularly that players would draw fouls. Um, so I think it's overall been good, and I've really been interested to watch, you know, the kind of overall response, fan response, anecdotally, from what, just what I'm seeing, is, like, by and large, happiness, but and also, like, a weird schadenfreude. Like, it's like revenge of the refs, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can sense that that the refs love not calling the foul that James Harden would have drawn at any other point in his career. And you can sense also that fans love seeing him not get it. (laughs) Yeah. I I literally kid you not. I saw a clip the other night. I wish I could remember what game it was from where a ref turns to the sideline and gives like the the crying (laughs) motion. Yes. (laughs) And that's exactly what I tweeted was revenge of the refs. (laughs) You, you, You can, there is a sense that they love this, you know, like you could kind of sense their pleasure. Um, and you know, it, it, it was fun over the first kind of opening of the season to watch, you know, Trey struggle with it and Harden struggle with it, but they're, those guys are too good to like, they'll figure it out. Yeah. From what I've heard from at least a large portion of the fan base, it does seem like they have been, I guess kind of hungering for like more physical contact down low, more post play. That's been a narrative sure. since the Warriors blew up, really. Do you think these rules have kind of helped to bring us closer to that, given that the scores are like a little closer to a hundred points or game a game, like plus or minus ten points now? Yeah, it's hard to know if that is, you know, uh any of the advanced stat guys will tell you scoring in the early part of the season is is mm. usually not where it ends up towards the end of the season middle of the season so it's hard to say but i you know just anecdotally watching it it feels like they're letting a lot more contact go it feels like there's a level of intensity because of that um and i think that is you know borne out by again these kind of like early season kind of scraps that we've seen that harken back to, you know, the days when the Knicks, you know, my Knicks were actually in the finals and stuff like that kind of thing. Now, I will say that having cut my teeth on that era of basketball, that's like how I fell in love with basketball is like the Knicks teams that like just would hit you in the head with a yeah, forearm Anthony Mason. to the basket. <laughs> like yeah. that, it's actually... Yes, it was intense, and yes, it was exciting. It wasn't actually as cool like as people make it out to be now. Like, it, you know, eighty nine to eighty eight 
in the Eastern Conference Finals year after year is uh, is really rough. Like you just want to be like somebody make a fucking basket, and <laughs> you know, like guys getting suspended or injured and like not playing is not as it's not it's not that great. I'd prefer to see uh, players on the court. Hopefully now, I think with the way it is now. Um, with the kind of like free-flowing movement on the perimeter kind of still in force, but just these very specific kinds of moves have been taken out of it. Um, I, I think that's a happy medium. And, you know, you could they could even dial it up a little bit more with the, with the physical contact. But I, I like where it is now, but I doubt we ever go back to the kind of like no-holds-barred WWE, AEW, like, grab somebody around the neck <laughs> collar style basketball that was really enforced throughout the 90s and early 2000s yeah nor do i think we want to completely go back to the 90s era because like to your point also like floor spacing things and oh. <laughs> stuff from that it's era terrible. not not as it's pretty terrible. to watch at times awesome. as fun as some of those games were uh do you think with the you know the Jokic incident there's scuffles that Rudy Gobert got into does that another kind of narrative true or false a narrative that has been spewed is that you know players don't care during the regular season all all this stuff do you think things like this you know these highly intense moments give the perception of like players caring more during the regular season oh sure I mean Listen, it's interesting, like, the Jokic, <laughs> the Jokic-Markeith thing is interesting, because on the one hand, everybody was, like, hand-wringing, like, oh, my God, this is terrible, and you can't hit somebody with their back turned, but don't turn your back also, like, what are you doing? I'm like, like yeah. we, we either, we don't do this, there's no place for this, Markeith could have been hurt, but he wasn't hit that, you know, like, all that stuff. At the same time, we're all going to be watching, like, November 29th when that game like that's circled on the calendar for everybody we everybody can't wait like so I think that that is you know a little bit more physical intensity if that helps build rivalries that carry over into the regular season all the better like that's great like you know when's the last time we got excited for a late November game between you know an Eastern and a Western Conference team I can't remember it. So, so that aren't even like finals, like rivals. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, I I think that it it can't but help as long as you know the kind of like physicality doesn't get out of control, which it doesn't. I don't think it has. Uh, I think it'll help. Jason, I want to kind of pick your brain in terms of this whole Ben Simmons saga. I'm sure you've talked about it ad nauseum, but when is kind of the the end game on this in terms of (laughs) us not having to deal with this mess like in March or April? I mean, Um, like (laughs) the end game. I mean, the the thing to do, honestly, is to just like not pay attention to it until like something happens because we're at a stage now where it's like both sides just leak shit. You know, mm-hmm. like you'll get a, a story will pop up, you know, from Shams that it's clearly like seated by clutch and another story will pop up somewhere else. And it's clearly like Daryl Morey said this, like, uh, you know, uh, is you know, Daryl, the Sixers uh, want Jalen Brown in any in any Ben Simmons. That's clearly like Daryl just being like, let everybody know I'm still on top of this and I want a player back. Um, because that it just we're just in a stalemate right now and i think that you know 
I think that both sides have handled this extremely poorly. Um, and, you know, we're just at a stage now where it's like the last kind of like back and forth was Ben saying his, uh, he's experiencing like mental health issues, anxiety, et cetera, generated from this and, and kind of like the uh, events that led to this. While the Sixers are essentially saying, although there's no one like on the record quoted saying, like basically we don't believe you. Uh, we want to talk to your doctors or go see our doctors so we can confirm that that is the case. And it's like that's just like an ugly place to be. Um, so, you know, just get back to us when something happens. As for the end game, I think, wow, you know, I think my sense is that eventually Daryl will say, we'll lower the price. Right. I mean, like Makes how sense. much more, how much how, like he's, he's on the record of saying, Oh, this could last four years. Come on. That's not going to yeah. last four years. Stop right. it. <laughs> <laughs> this won't last four years. And, and so the only thing I think I can see, assuming that Ben can, you know, can, can continue to eat the fines, which I think are rescinded now that he has uh, said that it's a health issue that he's out with. Um, but like assuming the fines, go back on and assuming that he can sustain those i i would assume that it's just the sixers lower the price because i don't know how you can i just don't see a world in which you can expect to actually get a star player back at this stage with ben not playing and nobody seeing what he can play like and it's just like a war of attrition so i don't know where you go from here so who do you think i guess suffers the long-term consequences of this once you know i'm sure ben will get traded eventually yeah i mean and certainly Philly's had not only handling this situation but other situations with their front office they have not looked good in, in recent years um i guess who do you think i guess is going to suffer the long-term ramifications of this because i have a feeling this might affect ben simmons for the rest of his career just due to his game and just due to i guess the overall negative feeling of him as as like a superstar player that i don't think yeah. exists now this due yeah, to what happened know. in the playoffs so I, I you know there's been a lot of it's probably ben you know it's probably ben he's the one that has to kind of like live with the way uh, the Sixer season ended last season with him uh, famously passing up the dunk late in the game and not score, you know, scoring all of, I want to say, four points over the second half, you know, late in that series against the Hawks. I, I um, not to mention him, you know, uh, referencing his mental health as part of the reason that he can't go into practice, you know, for that is still an issue that has a lot of stigma around it to say nothing of the fact that like there is a vocal slice of the sports fandom population that it thinks he's faking it which mm. i you know obviously no one knows right. that said i think it's very reasonable to 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 surmise that Ben Simmons is telling the truth. Listen, if I if I failed at the highest level in a very public way to the point where people were like burning my jersey and like booing me 
booing me at wrestling matches when I'm not even there. <laughs> and and my coach and the other my co-star player has thrown me under the bus and they and they clearly want to trade me and you know Sixers fans are yelling stuff at me on the street. I think that would be extremely stressful. You know, like I'd be stressed out. So I, I think it's it's fair to assume that he's telling the truth. But I I think that it's probably Ben because unless he can get back on the court and show that he is a impact player in the NBA, this is the last. This is the thing that will stick with him. This is kind of like the theme of his career. I um, mean, he's just like a you know, it's like just like a really a really weird and interesting player. You know what I mean? Like, uh, obviously he's got a lot of, th there's a lot of upside to him. He's an incredible defense, defensive mm -hmm. player. He's a great passer. He's like just ruthless in the, in the open court. Um, at the same time, it's like everybody in the whole entire world knows what his weakness is. You could go like to the Amazon jungle and find an uncontacted indigenous tribe and they're just like stand five feet away from Ben Simmons and make him shoot. Like everybody <laughs> knows it. You yeah. know and that that makes him extremely exploitable to say nothing of the free throw thing, which is like theoretically worse because like you can't be afraid to get fouled. That just makes it untenable to the point where like you can't like you touch the ball for a half a second and then just like hot potato it away. You have to at least be unafraid to go to the line as as you know, which is what we saw with Giannis like in his run to the championship last year is like, you know, obviously very shaky at the line over the course of the playoffs, but never afraid to go there. And so does Ben ever get there to where he's like, you know what, maybe I shoot 45% of the line, but I don't give a shit. I'll just, I'll continue to play aggressively. Do, do we get there? I don't know. But, and we won't know until we see him. And it's going to take a while of him being that player before we forget about all of this. Yeah. And I think it being in the modern era, I think has, has really hurt because expectations were so through the roof like if if he's a kid coming up in australia in the 90s yeah. makes his way over you know like a luke longley like relatively yeah. unknown on the worldwide stage you know we we might be thinking uh, a different there might be a different narrative on him certainly but it, expectations were through the roof through the just roof. when he started and he was uh, good for most of that time. yeah he was really really good you know, he never was. forget like the, that last stretch when Joel was out and he and he carried the team. He was very good. It's true. Um, hopefully he can get back there. That would be great. Definitely. Well, I think the three of us would and, and many others would agree it's been a very successful start to the NBA season. There are oh, a lot yeah. of factors in that. I mean, given the rules change, given more fans around certainly helps. Uh, what what would be your biggest surprise early on? I mean, there are so many to choose from. You know, you got the Cavs, you got the Wizards, you got uh, the Warriors to an extent have been a very, very uh, big surprise, I think. Um, what stands out to you, positive or negative, that has been a big surprise team? I would say, um, you know, the Cavs, the, the emergence of Mobley. Yeah. He is, like, amazing to watch. Yeah. He 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 does like five six things over the course of a game where you're just where it just looks like he's been playing a long time, <laughs> yeah. whether it's you know knowing exactly what pass to make, at, you know when he catches it, you know when he catches it at the nail, 
knowing exactly how to get to the spot that he wants to go to, his ability to handle at his size and play defense at his size, you know, it's like uh, he's just freaking good. Um, so that is, and he's obviously like completely changed the trajectory of the Cavs. You know, they have some nice players also, uh, and Jared Allen continues to emerge, but it's been Mobley that has made them, you know, turn them all of a sudden into a team to really watch out for. That was the team, you know, nobody, everybody understood that the East got better, that Knicks got better, the Hawks. I guess that's that'd be the other thing is the Hawks, the shakiness of the Hawks. They're at nine mm. and five, I want or five and nine, I want to say right mm-hmm. now. Um, and so, what what's the deal there? They have all of their players, right? Some new players, um, uh, but mostly it's that for the most part they're all kind of healthy. They had a lot of decisions in terms of lineups and personnel made for them last season with the injuries. And now, you know, you have Collins with a new contract, you have Trey with a new contract, and you have guys ready to prove themselves. Plus, you've got the league that understands that this is a good team and they're treating them differently. And will they adjust? I think, you know, they have the talent to adjust, but we need to see it happen. So that's been one of the surprises. I I thought that they would come out hot out of the gate. um, And it obviously hasn't been the case. And then, gosh, is it really? I, I thought a lot of people had. Golden State as that like that dark horse finals team, you know, mm-hmm. always predicated on can Clay be fifty percent? Can he even be fifty percent? If he's fifty percent and he can give uh, Steph that break where you know when Steph sits, all of a sudden the offense doesn't fall off a fucking cliff. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's then pencil. Let's think about the Warriors in the in the finals. Uh, they've been a lot better than that. Like, and, and Clay is nowhere, you know, is not nowhere to be seen yet. So, what happens when he shows up? They've been <laughs> Scary. super impressive. Um, and then I guess, you know, she's just kind of like connected to a team that recently beat the Warriors. The, uh, you know, Lamelo Ball being just exploding Agreed. into a superstar. Like, yeah. I, I will admit, like, I had my doubts about. Uh, Lamella, mostly because of the the path, you know, it's hard to like. What can you can you what can you trust about like you know Lithuania stats? What can you trust about like the stats in the um, Australian uh, pro league? But he's, he's been he's been unbelievable. And you want to talk about buyer's remorse? Like, I wonder if the Warriors are like, damn, like if we had taken Lamelo instead of Wiseman. Yeah. what we be right now like it would be actually terrifying so you know the emergence of lamello it continues to surprise he is just so fun to watch he is um jason i i have one more question for you you brought up sure. aew and wwe so i can't resist since um, i'm a huge wrestling fan as well <laughs> um did you happen to catch full gear at all um and what's your opinions of just like aew rising with the new acquisitions brian danielson punk um how you feeling these days with this kind of new uh, you know, I, Wednesday I Night War? I didn't catch it, but I will say for, I think that we needed an AEW, right? We needed, yeah. there just needed to be something else, a competitor, a, a a reasonable and real competitor to the WWE for a variety of reasons, you know, quality of product, the 
quality of life for the athletes and the performers that are that are in this life. I think we just needed it. I, I think it's great because honestly, you know, you can read any number of stories or watch any number of interviews about how really tough it is to to have a career in professional wrestling and surely like have yeah. a career when the WWE was the, kind of like the only game in town. So the fact that there is now an alternative and that it is a really entertaining alternative and one that I think, you know, by everything I've read thus far uh, is a little better for the people that are performing in it. I think that that's great. I think it's good. Yeah, I agree with you having another competitor raises, you know, WWE's stock as well in terms yeah. of presenting a better product because they become complacent ever since it, 2001. So yeah. it's, it's, like, it's nice to have like another competitor pushing them. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic is every single week, one promotion responding to the other, you know, they're one upping with each other um, every I week. Agree. So looking forward to that. Jason, appreciate the chat. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media sure. and then all your shows and anything else you're working on as well. Sure. At network on Twitter at N E T W three R K. I'm on, and you can go on there and go on my bio, and then it's got all my other uh, social tags in the bio. I host the uh, podcast Take Line, which I co-host with two-time WNBA champion Renee Montgomery. That comes out every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. I host the uh, pop culture, uh, comic books, sci-fi, fantasy podcast X-Ray Vision. That comes out every Wednesday. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. I host the uh, sports comedy web show, All Caps NBA, that comes out every Friday on the Take Line YouTube channel. Um, and gosh, what else? Uh, watch Primo when it premieres on IMDb TV in 2022 or whenever that comes out. Appreciate it, Jason. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me.